What the If is brought to you by listeners like you, thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash whattheif. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. And thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome to What the If. Every week, a new diabolical experiment in science education. Gabby, how are you? Good morning. I am good morning. It is a nice Friday morning. It is no longer swelteringly hot. Yeah. And uh, we are pre-leaf blower time. So <laughs> that is excellent for podcasts, although I'm sure about halfway through, they will get the red alert and they will scramble the leaf blowers. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so hopefully that's not in the background of this while you guys are listening to it. Hopefully Phil's mixing software has succeeded in obliterating all record of the leaf blowers in the yeah, background. You just gave me an image of like a drone that hovers over every neighborhood listening for podcasts. And as soon as one is identified, a signal gets sent to the landscapers. Alert! Something. I think I it's probably, you know, okay. Most podcasts, that's probably a good thing. Like, <laughs> like the, you know, six dudes in the basement just yeah. hanging out. Like, you can scramble the leaf blowers for those guys. Yeah, yeah. But not for science. We're we're doing we're doing important work here. Um, yeah, if you scramble the leaf blowers for science, you need proper controls. Yeah, I was going to say we're doing God's work, but I won't I won't I won't go that far. But we're doing Carl Sagan's work. You know, that's important. It's important. That's a good one. Um, Gabby, how would you? Uh, oh, for, first of all, I should mention our um, erstwhile uh, co-pilot uh, Matthew Stanley is uh, is also a freelance superhero, and uh, he is he he has been called away. The bat signal was raised. And uh, Matt, who uh, is a double black belt in karate and also in the history of science, has been called off to a history of science emergency somewhere in the universe. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, history is probably happening and, and he needed to document it, I think is probably what's happening. So um, uh, I like to or... imagine he's got some sort of time travel role, like the double black belt and the science history. And yeah. all. Just like he goes back in time to like, I don't know, beat the crap out of Tesla like That's on right. a random weekend. Like, no, do that experiment. Like, that's right. <laughs> He's like doc Doctor Who uh, uh, of history, uh, of science. So um, um, Matt is not here. He will be back next week, um, assuming that uh, he fixes our timeline. Otherwise, we may all turn into frogs or something like that. Um, and we'll never know. So there you go. Uh, Gabby, what, what in the world? People are already asking. People who are new to the show are already confused. So help them understand what they have uh, stumbled into. Yeah. So every week, basically, we pick one thing to change about the universe. And that's our if. Um, what if birds were a lot smarter than they are now? What if the asteroid never took out the dinosaurs? What if hamsters had thumbs? Um, just random things like that. And we take them and we run them to their farthest possible conclusion. We learn some science along the way and usually by the end discover that we've destroyed reality as we know it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I like that, that first, that first if, what if birds were smarter than we are now? And I imagined birds listening this morning already and saying, girl, you don't even know. We are smarter than you. We are smarter <laughs> than you think we are. So, um, but uh, yes, indeed, what the if, and every week we have a new if, and um, 
we are here, by the way, thank you uh, w- with gratitude to the support uh, um, of our Patreon supporters. Um, I'm just going to give a shout out to one. At the end of the show, I'm going to give a shout out to um, a number of our founding Patreon members. Um, but I uh, wanted to give a shout out right here at the top of the show to Ken Hayes. Ken has been one of our supporters from the very beginning. And so we thank you. Absolutely, Ken. Uh, if you want to join the ranks of super ifers like Ken, uh, Patreon supporters, you can go to patreon.com slash what the if and find out more about all the cool merch you can get and uh, bonus content. We also, uh, Patreon members get a special extended version of the uh, podcast. Um, sometimes quite a bit extended uh, where our con- our conversations just continue and we discuss things that are even going on outside the topic. Uh, so um, patreon.com, check it out. Our if this week is uh, rather, um, it, it would be appropriate for a Halloween if even. Oh, this uh, would have been a great Halloween if, yeah. It, it may come back as things do at Halloween, but uh, it's in the vein and uh, it comes to us from our friends at the New York Times not personal friends, but <laughs> I'm a big fan of the New York Times, especially the science Parasocial section. relationship with the New York Times. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Is that some sort of parasite relationship or is that uh, more benevolent? It's 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 a term for like how people have like weird like relationships with like internet personalities. But essentially they have no relationship with you, but you uh. might have with interacting with them. It's It leads to some weird things. <laughs> okay. Well, then that's entirely appropriate for our show. Um, so, uh, before we, before we bring in the if we, the if is always announced with great fanfare and we begin our thought experiment, you know, with a, a great, uh, huzzah. Um, but, but here's some context. So here's, here's what spawned the idea. Um, it is a, it was a headline in the New York times recently. Um, and I will provide a link to it in the show notes. Um, and the headline was a quote, reversible unquote, form of death, question mark, scientists revive cells in dead pig's organs. Researchers who previously revived some brain cells in dead pigs succeeded in repeating the process in more organs. So (laughs) this is one of those, I wouldn't call it a buried lead since it's literally in the lead of the article, but, uh, you know, oh, by the way, brain cells have been res- re- uh, revived in the past as well, um, and they've now succeeded in re- reviving uh, organs in pigs. And um, this is an audio program, so I do want to pro- give you some some visual um, cues. The article is then followed by a an adorable picture of a pig kind of Aww. coming around a corner, so to speak. Um, and yet that it's... You are only seeing a, a, a piece of the environment. It looks like it is possibly some sort of strange maze that the pig is in, or a pen, I suppose. But uh, the article is by Gina Colada, and I'm just going to give you a very, very brief uh, excerpt here. Gina Colada from the New York Times uh, in the science section. And uh, Gina writes, The pigs had been lying dead in the lab for an hour. No blood was circulating in their bodies. Their hearts were still their brainwaves flat. Then a group of Yale scientists pumped a custom-made solution into the dead pig's bodies with a device similar to a heart-lung machine. What happened next adds questions to what science considers the wall between life and death. 
Although the pigs were not considered conscious in any way, their seemingly dead cells revived. Their hearts began to beat as the solution, which the scientists called organ X, circulated in veins <laughs> and arteries. Good job, scientists. Uh, cells in their organs, including the heart, liver, kidneys, and brain, were functioning again, and the animals never got stiff like a typical dead pig. You know, typical dead pigs. They get so stiff. Other pigs, dead for an hour, were treated with ECMO. Perhaps they pronounce it ECMO. <laughs> Elmo's, <laughs> Elmo's evil brother. <laughs> Other pigs, I dead think maybe a cousin. That's got to be Elmo's... a cousin. It's got to be one more removed. That's true. Exactly. Elmo's, Elmo's evil cousin once removed. Uh, <laughs> the removed in this context is strange. Uh, so just a tiny bit more of the article. Other pigs, dead for an hour, were treated with ECMO, a machine that pumped blood through their bodies, they became stiff. Their organs swelled and became damaged. Their blood vessels collapsed, and they had purple spots on their backs where blood pooled. The group reported its results Wednesday in Nature. And here's the final paragraph I'll read, and then uh, we'll get to the if. The researchers say their goals are to one day increase the supply of human organs for transplant by allowing doctors to obtain viable organs long after death. And they say they hope their technology might also be used to prevent severe damage to hearts after a devastating heart attack or brains after a major stroke. And so um, a part of our process here, a part of our scientific process, so to speak, our pseudoscientific, our, our Socratic scientific... Uh, science-adjacent method. Science-adjacent <laughs> method, exactly. Across the tracks from science. Uh in the dodgy neighborhood where we live with what the if, um, we have to define our if. And I think that, that's part of the process that the, the uh, listeners don't often get to, get to hear. So uh, we, we find things in the news. Some, sometimes you guys, by the way, um, the audience, you, you suggest ideas to us. And so you are welcome to, by the way, at any point, go to our website, whattheif.com, where you can find all our previous episodes, as always. But you can contact us right there. There's a little contact box and shoot us your ideas for an if. but uh, Or we find them in the news. Rip from the headlines, as we have today. And then we, we say, okay, we have to formulate this into a, a what-the-if syntax, or more commonly known as what-if. So, Gabby, what, what's the what-if that implicit in this uh, news story, do you think? What are we asking? Yeah, so I think it would be interesting to sort of take it one further than the scientists actually want to. So they're not aiming to use this fluid to magically revive people right after they die. Right. But I think that'd be pretty cool to explore, right? Indeed. Indeed. So the if is what? How would you, how would you uh, state it? What would be the words? What's the sentence? The, the magic sentence that opens the if? Just uh, what if you could revive people after death? It's like, here we go. What the if you could revive people after they die? Imagine, not just pigs. The pigs would already have been revived so that when you are revived, you have bacon waiting. Oh, I didn't say that. <laughs> no, no, the bacon would, that would defeat the whole purpose of having, yeah, no. What if people could be brought back from the dead? An age-old question. So, um... To get there, help us help us understand, Gabby. What's what's going on in this uh, 
what's a little bit of the science between the lines here in this article? They were bringing, uh, why do they say, here's the question, they say they're not, they haven't fully revived the entire pig, they're just reviving certain organs. Why didn't they just go all the way? Why is there not, why does this Why didn't story, they go whole hog? Whole, <laughs> well done. Come on. Well done, well done. Why, the story doesn't end, We'll come back to what the story is, but but I can I can say slight spoiler alert. It doesn't end with like a bunch of pigs walking around, you know, looking adorable. Yet again, the scientists stopped themselves from seeing if that was possible. They but they did revive. They were able to revive organs that would, in the case of if we needed transplants, uh, they they do say that a, a, a big use case here is that uh, you know apparently like if uh, if you're an organ donor. And if uh, you're so unfortunate as to be in a position to donate your organs, um, they need to get them right away. And that uh, very often the, um, the uh, patient has expired for too long before the uh, organs can be obtained for saving other lives. Um, so with this kind of process, they'd be able to save many, many more organs for people, which is yeah. quite interesting. But they didn't go so far as to like revive the brain the entire brain or things like that. So what's, yeah. what, what, what did, what happened here? What's the, what's so the gap they, between this and, and the true science fiction uh, story we wanted to hear? So they started with brain first and in a separate paper, they started just with the brain, their right. solution. There was brain X, which I think is fun. Brain X. Yeah. Um, they're just sort of naming it by wherever it seems to be working. Right. Um, so when you do an experiment like this, that has very large ethical implications, you don't want to shoot for everything at once uh -huh. because if it fails, then you've just kind of brought a thing back to life. And I think we're familiar enough with Frankenstein, all of those sort of depictions that that's probably not great. And it's going to be not great for the pig. So actually um, here's something I've always wondered. Yeah. Since we're on the, on the ethical question. Okay. So we all know Dr. Frankenstein, right? And Frankenstein is the doctor, not the monster. Frankenstein's yes. monster is the name of the monster. Okay. And, um, so uh, if Dr. Frankenstein were in, you know, an accredited laboratory, what would have been the process he would have had to go through? Why, why could he not just throw the third switch, throw three switches and uh, during a lightning storm and uh, revive uh, this dead uh, man that he had pieced together from other parts? Yeah, this man jumped completely <laughs> to the end. No, like, Aya Cook on Earth would have approved anything that he was doing. Aya, what's Aya Cook? Oh, God, what does it stand for? It's like an institutional, like, animal welfare and, like, protocols okay. review board that, like, everyone who does animal work has to go through there, get all of their protocols oh. approved so that nothing is, like, really out of the ordinary, right? Because right. if you're working with animals, like, you don't want to be mean to the animals or cruel to the animals like um i feel like scientists get kind of a bad rap for animal work but actually most of the scientists i know are really cut up about having to do animal work uh, um i will say nobody... it's interesting you mentioned that because i was in part of this story is how um you know was the uh they went to great lengths one of the reasons they didn't fully revive the the pig in the sense, or attempt to, full, to revive the entire pig all at once, was uh, a concern for undue suffering. And so yeah. they, they, they went to great lengths to anesthetize the body and things like that. And I, I will say, yes, I was reading that thinking, oh, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't. 
I just yeah, figured they went you to, do what you do for science and that's that. But uh, but no. No, they, they went to great lengths too to, to actually block any of the ability to the brain to signal when they were doing this experiment with organ X. Uh -huh, so when uh -huh. they were just focusing on the organs, they totally stopped the brain from from working. They were like, all right, we're uh -huh. shutting this down preemptively ourselves. Because even if that fluid could have revived the brain, they did not want it to wow. um, in this experiment because they didn't want a pig waking up with, you know, maybe only half of its heart. Like, you don't want something to try to regain consciousness in the middle of uh, what might wind up being kind of like a heart attack. Interesting. Um, right. So they, they kind of just took that off the table was the way they handled it, which I think was really good. Um, yeah. So they were they were really focused predominantly on organs in this one, right. on reviving specific organs. So um, Dr. Frankenstein just, would have had to go to this, this what was it again, Acua? Iacuc. I-A-C-U-C. Institutional Animal. Um, oh, Christ. I do not remember yeah. what it stands for. Yeah. But so, so, so Dr. Frankenstein, and what, 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 is it an application he has to fill out? It's a lot of paperwork. Don't forget, um, it's raining, the lightning is coming, you know, he's like, and he's, he's, in, he's an impatient. Uh, yeah, you know, he's sitting scientist. there filling, okay, Institutional <laughs> Animal Care and Use Committee. That's what it stands for. I uh, had to Google. Uh. Oops. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, the, the lightning is, is flashing outside and he's bent over over his desk rather right. than over a cadaver. He's just filling out some paperwork. Because <laughs> um, in science, what you want to do is you want to start from as rigorous of a base as possible, right? So first, he's going to want to test reviving just pieces of organs. Can he get a finger to move? Can he stimulate nerves? Stuff like that. Um, can he revive parts of a dead animal? Something like that. Like, you know, do stuff that doesn't, that, that minimizes animal suffering. Things that are just like, you know, can he stimulate stuff to start working again without actually creating anything that's conscious yet without attaching a brain or something like that. Right. right, um, right. Of course, Frankenstein would not be Frankenstein without jumping to right to the end because it's kind of a part of his character that he's pretty obsessive and not exactly careful uh -huh. um, or well thought out. Um, so of course he doesn't do any of this. Um, unlike the scientists in this paper that, you know, they, they proceed stepwise, right? So right. eventually they may want to try reviving an entire pig but only after they're sure that each component of their system works to correctly and like perfectly restore mm. whatever the system was um, so that, you know, they're not resuscitating a pig that now like, I don't know, walks really funny, can't blink right, you know, something like that. Like they don't want to just, you know, revive an animal. It's going to be like super scrambled and right. terrified. Or that says fire, bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The pig starts talking backwards in Latin by the time they revive it. Yeah. Oh, that happens. <laughs> nice. Pig Latin. Shout out to Pig Latin. Um, so, uh, but if this were human, so we've taken we've taken the uh, the Halloweenish leap to um, if this had been if this had been done on humans. So, if this had been done on humans, the the analogy would have been at first what they're doing is they're just simply reviving individual organs um to see if they work and they do mention in this article that that if if that actually they say first of all we're a long way off uh from this being tested even in yeah. humans but but if they had been able to do that you know that would be uh an important process um actually let me ask you about that before we even go forward 
Whenever they say we are a long way off from testing this in humans, I'm always, there is a tiny part of me that's always like, why? <laughs> I mean, or, or I shouldn't say why, I, I understand why, but like when they say long way off, uh, that I don't quite, well, they don't say exactly how long they mean. So when you hear that, what does that typically mean in a way? And what is it, like, what are all the things they're going to do before it gets to humans? Yeah, so it's a combination of things, right? Some of it is more experiments in pigs before they need to have everything possible, mm. sure that it works in pigs mm. before they even remotely try anything like this on isolated human organs. They wouldn't jump straight to uh-huh. an entire dead person. Um, and also too, a lot of it is is more approval. You have to wait for all of these things to go through, for them to be looked over, for people to you know try to poke holes in your protocols and be like, okay, well maybe you should do this instead because if this doesn't happen like you expect it to, this way is automatically more humane, whatever. Right. Um, so like, for example, one thing I see is since they defined a clear use, which is in organ transplants, um, what you might do is you might try to mimic essentially what happens with people that sometimes they're dead for a bit too long. They, you try to revive the organs and then transplant them into another pig mm. and then see, well, does this work? Did you successfully revive it to the degree that now this kidney or whatever works like it's supposed to? Right. Um, and so that's sort of one way of testing their specific like use, mm. whether or not it'll work for that. And then they might be able to get permission to harvest some organs um, and get just isolated human organs from people who've been dead and try that. Um, Of course, there are a lot, like, it is one of these things where that takes a lot of approval. Um, It takes time. It takes establishing specific relationships with groups that are going to get you this because it is difficult to just say, yeah, I want to find myself a human heart today. Um, well, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, hoops you have to jump through for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can't just walk up to the local, you know, pyramid temple right. and be like, can I get one of those? Yeah. Um, where they're, you know, throwing off the human sacrifices. Right. Right. Or I, um, I always think about Blade Runner and Blade Runner. It's so cool where, you know, uh, genetic handiwork is just sort of done in the noodle shops. <laughs> it's, like, it's available anywhere. <laughs> Wherever you need some sophisticated uh, DNA editing, you can get it done. Get your ramen and your uh, exactly, 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 exactly. Um, why pigs? What's what's the deal with pigs? Why, why are they working on pigs? Pigs are actually kind of similar to people as far as like size goes. Um, so the huh. sizes of their organs are actually very similar to the size of people's. And also like shape, makeup, stuff like that. Huh. Um, so essentially, you're you're getting a good a good idea of well, if you put this amount in, you know, this is what you get out. Because if you're starting with right. like a mouse, they're so tiny, they're so delicate, they can die just from stress. Um, huh. Which sometimes, you know, in in uh, undergrad, I felt like I was getting close with finals, but you know, it never actually killed me ever. Um, a mouse going through its it's finals week or it's, it's doctorate degree probably would just, you know, it's a little heart <laughs> will pop. Um, cause some animals are very predisposed to stress and stuff like that. So yeah, pigs are more robust, more similar to people as far as like, um, organ size goes. So it's a better model for something that's going to be used as a potential human medical technology is to look at it in pigs. 
Um, and if you guys are familiar with Mythbusters, they use pigs a lot as like a stand-in for humans and like human flesh. Um, because similarly, I mean, they're bigger. I think they were getting smaller pigs deliberately to be closer to a human weight. But it, you know, it reacts more similarly. Yeah. And and how about and just since we're on since we touched on the subject for a moment, why are mice used in science so prevalently? There's a couple of different reasons, right? One is that they breed fast, so you can get a large population very quickly. Right. They're very tractable, so we our mice are specifically domesticated. I think a lot of people don't realize that that lab mice are not exactly the same as wild mice, so they're very very tractable to being handled. They don't really try to bite you and they'll only really like get squicked out and try to bite you if you're not handling them right like you pick it up wrong and it just doesn't feel supported um for the most part they're fine they don't really try to run away from you the instant you see you and one of the other reasons that's actually kind of interesting is we use mice because we can get inbred populations so essentially an entire group of mice has more or less exactly the same genetic background um so they're almost clones of one another which is really really useful when you're trying to do stuff and you don't have to account for genetic variability. Um, if you want an example of genetic variability, think of the pandemic and how two people get getting sick who might, you know, be in the same family. One of them gets it worse than the other. Or, or you know, just, just the fact that, you know, people are not a monolith. Two people can get sick, one much, much worse than the other, even though they live both, they have, you know, no underlying conditions, basically the same lifestyle and stuff like that. Right. Um, and these mouse lines that are like super inbred, I think are actually fairly old. Um, so if I remember correctly, I think it was like the French monarchy or something like that. Like it became a weird royal like court pastime to breed and keep mice because you could keep like fancy mics like in your pockets or something like that. I, I hope I'm not making this up, but somebody told me this once. Um, so it essentially there were already these inbred lines that we could kind of work with. And then people sort of went from there. And so we have all different kinds of like mouse lines. Like some of them have weird names, like, you know, black six mice. I don't know where the six comes for, but they're little black mice. So, um, and, and that's part of why we use them. They're very tractable. They can breed very, very fast. So you can get a lot of mice. They have more or less the same genetic background, stuff like that. And right. now that we've done a lot of work with mice, we can make so many more tools for them. So now we've sort of sunk in all this time and effort into them, and they're very, very useful because we can right. manipulate them very well. Right, 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 right. All right, so leaping ahead, our what the if was, what if uh, this technology was moved to humans? So um, we've moved to humans, and um, the, we've there's been approval given. Um, so we have leapt forward in time, whatever that, it'll when the article said it'll be a long time before this is used in humans, we've jumped to that point in time. And uh, if they are um, testing on humans, they're testing individual organs. But really, mm -hmm. the interesting place to get to is... The very the, end, the Frankenstein joke. Exactly. The, the, the organs still within the body and the idea of reviving the entire body. So that's, I can certainly see why that would be quite far in the future. Um, but when they got to that point, what would they have already accomplished? Like, yeah, so in order to get to that point, right, they're going to have to show that this works reliably and extremely well in, you know, every single organ possible they can test. Yeah. That they're probably going to have to re completely revive pig, 
like reliably every single time. Yeah. They're going to have to define use case criteria. So for example, like not everyone would be able to be revived this way, right? So somebody mm-hmm. who stabs through the heart is not going to be able to do that because there's like a physical mechanical damage, right? So when do you use this? What is like the perfect case? Somebody who had a heart attack, somebody who had a stroke, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that, right? Because they might not be able to revive somebody who died of like a metastatic cancer because when they revive them, the cancer is also still there. Um, so there are probably going to have to be very specific cases where it's used that they're going to have to have to find so that they're not just picking people to use it on that it's not going to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. I mean, or that's going to leave zombies. It's going to leave zombies walking yes. in the streets. You know, you do not want zombies. No. Yeah. <laughs> they might be able to revive people who died of like certain diseases, depending on what they are. It, just might depend. Actually, um, speaking of zombies, so Frankenstein, the mon- Frankenstein's monster is kind of a proto-zombie. I never really thought about that, but I realized that. I think zombies have been around in fiction, though, for a lot longer than Frankenstein's monster. Sure. Right. But so, so what, but, but a zombie would be a potential outcome of this scenario, right? Like if the body is revived and only the most rudimentary part of the brain, I suppose, is revived, you could have a zombie. Uh, I mean, if you want to make that leap, I guess, maybe, but I don't This think would so be a exactly. reason for the approval process. <laughs> you know, we don't want I those mean, zombies. If anything, you're just going to inadvertently make somebody brain dead or really, really decrease their capacity for caring for themselves or doing a lot of things. Right. Um, you might have essentially accidentally like lobotomized a person if the damage is too much. Like they're going to have to do a lot of like initial characterization of, you know, what happens to cognition. So actually what they might have to do is um, you can train pigs pretty easily. Right. Uh So they might have to train a pig for a task or several tasks, kill it, revive it and see how well it does those tasks afterwards to sort of look at general cognition. Um, If they want to look at more complex behaviors, they might have to do this in monkeys. Um, Not the same as far as, you know, um, size goes. So they'd have to adapt it there. But if they want to look at like motor, fine motor control, because monkeys at least have like hands like we do, Uh um, that might be a way they have to go. There's, they're probably going to have to check this in a lot of different ways that sound incredibly tedious when you just want to know like, can it bring people back from the dead? Can it, you know, save, you know, people's lives? Yeah. Um, yeah. But you really want to make sure you don't get it wrong. Yeah. I think the, the important thing that's becoming clear is as, as I get beyond science fiction uh, thinking is that the true complexity of these systems, right? Ultimately, that's what it boils down to that you can't, you know, in, in the movie Frankenstein and the, the book, the Frankenstein, they're kind of just treating the body as a single thing. It's like, oh, we re- revived the body and it just seems to work. You know, you're thinking of the body as just a thing. Like uh, you turn it, you throw us, you literally throw, throw a switch yeah. and it, and it's back. But the truth is that they're unbelievably complicated. So even, even the fact of them working right now at the level of individual organs, that organ itself is also extremely complicated, right? Like to know whether yeah. that organ is truly functioning is going to take a lot of study. Yeah. So one of the things too, the main thing that they're trying to combat is 
essentially lack of lack of oxygen. Um, that's if you read the paper or whatever, they say um, ischemia a lot, I-S-C-H-A-E-M-I-A, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Um, and that's essentially like a lack of oxygen. So when your heart stops beating, that's what happens. Nothing is getting oxygen. If your lungs stop working, again, same thing. Nothing is really getting oxygen around the body. And we need oxygen for a lot of things. I feel like that's a little bit of a reductive statement. Uh, no, 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 we've been breathing for our entire lives. Um, <laughs> but it's essentially required to make energy in the body um, in order to make things work. It is involved in making ATP, which is known as the energy currency of the cell. Hmm. When you die, it's, it's a, it's the a lack chemical? Of... What ATP is Yeah, that? yeah, yeah. Yeah. Adenosine triphosphate. Uh -huh. um, adenosine may sound familiar to you because it's also one of the bases in DNA. Oh. Things get attached. There's like a GTP, there's ATP. Um, and essentially, attaching phosphates to things stores energy. Breaking phosphate bonds huh. releases energy. And so by coupling ATP with things, you can use that hydrolyzation of ATP, that breaking down one or two of the phosphate bonds on a ATP oh. down to ADP or AMP to make something happen that wouldn't wow. normally happen. Interesting, because I do and know so, I, when you burn phosphorus, it's extremely bright, right? Yeah, and so imagine something kind of like that, right? Where, yeah. you know, you're, you're essentially breaking a very high energy bond, and now that you can use that energy for something else, so you can couple it to something else. Uh -huh. um, and the whole process of making energy is kind of equivalent to like a dam. Um, your, your body sort of dams up um, little hydrogen, um, <laughs> ions from water and then they like flow down i think it's no it's not um it's oxygen i think it's oxygen atoms o minus i might be getting this completely wrong i don't remember how the mitochondria works i'm sorry uh, guys um it, that essentially it's why it's the powerhouse and cell, right yeah um it's either hydrogens or o minus because it makes water at the end mm -hmm, mm -hmm, uh mm -hmm. oh no it's hydrogen it's hydrogens because then it makes water at the end because you need o2 for that uh-huh um there we go. Um, and so that's why you need oxygen. It makes the energy that makes things move. And so when that's why when you die, you don't get oxygen to things. You get rigor mortis because the way your muscles work is that in order to unclench, it needs the ATP to sort of move the filaments and move them somewhere else. Uh -huh, uh -huh, um, uh -huh. So the things like the myosin head groups, they, they can't release. And so everything tightens up really hard. That's rigor mortis. So there's probably like ATP in this like chemical mixture, all sorts of really complicated chemicals. I'm sure that go into this to make to combat the oxygen damage, reoxygenate the cells, deliver some ATP uh, stuff to make sure things go into the cells. Right? I have no idea. I mean, they don't tell you what's in this this juice. Right. I That's right. Sure there's a what's thousand in the juice? different things in here. Yeah. Yeah. It's more than. Uh, it's got more in it than just v8 for instance <laughs> or a, this is like v110 yeah yeah um as as we begin to wrap up i just want to read the the end of the article is quite uh interesting um uh and uh oh, i'm sorry the author's name again uh gina colada uh Ms. colada ends by saying um another issue is the implications, Organex, the name of this, uh, the juice. Uh, another issue is the implications Organex might have for the definition of death. 
If Organ X continues to show that the length of time after blood and oxygen deprivation, before which cells cannot recover, is much longer than previously thought, then there has to be a change in the time when it is determined that a person is dead. It's we quote, it's weird, but no different than what we went through with the development of the ventilator, Mr. Parent said. Quote, there is a whole population of people who in a different era might have been called dead, he said. So help us understand that. What does that mean? If uh, Yeah, so this is more getting into the medical side of things, which is a little bit beyond me. But basically, yeah. we have... Humans don't like to die. That's a very reductive statement, but I think everybody can agree. <laughs> yeah. So therefore, over throughout our entire history, we have been inventing all sorts of ways to not die, uh -huh. um, including you know antibiotics, stuff like that. The ventilator was a big step, though, because it could essentially revive and keep somebody alive when ordinarily they would have just died or been completely pronounced dead. Right. In fact, during the um, you, during co the COVID pandemic, an enormous number of people had their lives saved by ventilators, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it did sort of change the criteria of if a person is dying, you can intervene and essentially forcibly keep them alive, where that would not have been a thing before. Yeah. Um, so by other criteria, they would have been considered dead but you can intervene kind of yeah. similarly if this is able to sort of bring back somebody from a heart attack that you know they are considered medically dead their heart is not beating yeah. you cannot restart it with like a defibrillator yeah yep that's the word i was looking for i'm literally sitting here you, you guys can't see it but i'm sitting here making like the defibrillator like emotions <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the perils of audio only um yeah so essentially it's, it's changing the criteria from which we have to save somebody um, to potentially bring them back from the dead, yeah. which is kind of cool when you think about it medically, right? Like, it, it does open up a whole realm of things that previously would have just been death sentences, but now, you know, well, not now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, yeah. they might be able to rush someone whose air quotes dead to the hospital in time to get revived. So yeah. it's essentially vastly broadening this criteria of things that we can still revive people from, which is really bonkers. Yeah, um, yeah. That you could have what, somebody that in all other ways is considered dead and everybody would be like, yep, no heartbeat, no brain waves, that's pretty dead. Yeah, And then, yeah. you know, an hour later, they're fine. Put, putting your, uh, for our last little glimpse of the future, but putting your sci-fi author uh, hat on. Hat on. What does society look like when this is commonplace? I, I think it's kind of interesting, right? Because it's, I'm not imagining it for every criteria. Again, you can still get stabbed. You can still die of old age. Um, but there's now a whole breadth of things that people can come back from. Um, your uncle who won't ever take his heart medication and has a heart attack can now totally be revived and totally still not take his heart medication the second time around. Um, <laughs> Patients can continue I mean, to be non-compliant. <laughs> That's kind of what I'm imagining, right? Like, no matter what, we're still going to be people. Um, my one stupid, potentially cool thing, well, I'm thinking in, like, first the cyberpunk way, right? Like, can like there's going to be, like, knockoff Organ X or something like that. Like, somebody's going to yeah, want, like, the really yeah, good stuff. But or, um, Organ Y. 
Yeah, yeah. Like there's there's one that you get back in in, in the noodle shop. Yeah, whatever. That's right. Like <laughs> they, they they ship you into the noodle shop and then yeah. they revive you. But you got the back yeah. like the the back market stuff. So like that's you come right. out a little twitchy. Right. Organex um, Ponzu version. Yeah, <laughs> it's yuzu flavored. Yuzu. Um, <laughs> Uh, the one kind of thing that I'm imagining, which would be kind of, I don't know, interesting, funky, is like, I, I'm wondering if like, is it easier to move people dead stuff like like weird like transport things like if we're sending <laughs> people in space like can you like right. you know, we ruled out cryo preservation right as a thing, <gasps> but can keep people in like a a weird like suspended corpse state like what. Right. What is the the limit of this, right? Like, do you even if you have this juice, how long can they be perfused like this and stay viable? Because um, hell, we might not be able to, you know, cryo preserve people, but that might be a weird next kind of state. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they keep refining this further and what they manage to figure out about it. Oh, that's fascinating. Good, I'm sure, actually, weird cultural thing, there will probably be so many people now claiming they can, like, communicate with ghosts. There will probably be, like, a subculture yeah. of just, like, people who have revived and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, or, or yeah, this is a whole other thing, but, like, the sort of whatever the near-dead experience is, we could have all kinds of people having had them and coming back and telling us about it. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's going to be a big subreddit. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's the final word on it thing right there. Um so uh, get your uh, get your uh, browser ready and uh, go to um, r slash organx, and f I'm sure that exists already. It probably already exists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Find out what's happening on the forums. So um, thank you, Gabby. Thank you for this incredible, uh, absolutely fascinating uh, discussion. So um, anything you'd like to plug coming up? Um. I still don't have a release date, but I know it's coming yeah. up soon, sometime this fall, um, yeah. because Phil asked me to put my sci-fi writer hat on, um, yeah, my right. sort of debut <laughs> professionally published yeah. short story uh, is coming out in the anthology uh, Luminescent Machinations, Queer Tales of Monumental Invention from Neon Hemlock Press. Um, you can pre-order it, um, I think both hard copy and uh, PDF versions. I'm very excited. There's going to, they're apparently making like art for each of the stories too. Um, ah. So I'm just super excited to see this issue when it comes out. There's a lot of other people that are being published in it that I'm also really excited to read their work. Um, yeah. And much like it helps to support smaller podcasts like us, it also helps to su support smaller independent publishers um, like places like Neon Hemlock and other like small science fiction magazines. Because right. um, that's where you get the really cool, fun ideas from. And uh, that's how writers eventually manage to get book deals. So support them when they're small, I guess. Right on, yeah. And we'll have to have some of those authors on the show when the uh, when the book comes out, or even before. Actually, it'd be a great idea if you if you're in touch with some of them. That'd be fun. Um, speaking of great science fiction writers coming on the show, I'm thrilled to announce that uh, coming up very soon. I don't have the exact date yet, but. Um, when it'll be up, I could even be as early as next week. Um, we have Alistair Reynolds, the great Ooh. science fiction writer, and truly, I, I think, one of the greatest living science fiction writers, or perhaps even living and dead, uh, of all the science fiction writers. Alistair Reynolds, one of my all-time favorites. Um, I will give a plug for him, just uh, since it's happening. He has a brand new book out, if you're a fan of Alistair Reynolds. Um, 
or if you're a fan of space opera, as they call it, or hard science fiction, or just really smart, really fun, thrilling uh, stories um, that take place across the span of the solar system and zillions of worlds and aliens and all kinds of that stuff. Really, he's an amazing writer, and he has a new book out called Eversion. It's a, a version with an E. And um, he will be on our show um, pretty soon. So I'm super psyched for that. That's going to be amazing. And uh, I also want to give a shout out to, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, some of our founding uh, Patreons. Patrons? Patrons. Some of our founding patrons. <laughs> uh, members of our Patreon membership program. Um, and I want to, and I just wanted to give a shout out to them by name because we haven't really done that. So these are some of the, some of the people who joined right at the, right at the beginning. Um, Guy Raider, Marsha and Frank Curley, Ahmed Tariq, Don Mundus, and uh, Ken Hayes. You guys are amazing. Um, if you would like to be up in the ranks of uh, patrons, people who support this show and help us do what we do, go to patreon.com slash what they if and find out more. And uh, right after this show, well, there's the after show conversation, uh, which is available only to Patreon members. Um, so along with all the great merch you get, you also get bonus content, extended discussions, and that'll be happening. Gabby and I will be discussing uh, a little bit more about this, and we'll also find out uh, other things that are happening in Gabby's uh, sphere of influence. So uh, stay tuned for that. If you're a Patreon member, uh, you can find that find that bonus content, by the way, on Patreon, on the Patreon page. Uh, Gabby, would you help us close out um, this uh, thing? What, what do we do? With, I believe that whenever we do shout this out, that wherever Matt is in the universe, and Matt will be back next week, we want him to be able to hear us. But uh, what is this closing ritual all about? Yeah, so as we, you know, wake up suddenly on the slab in the morgue, <laughs> weird juice in our veins, our glimpse with death thwarted, we cannot help but shout the name of the show together in unison. Join us. What? What? The, the is. Thank you for tuning, all you uh, aspiring Dr. Frankensteins out there and fr aspiring Frankenstein monsters. I think I aspire, aspire to be the monster. This seems to have more fun. Um, thank you for listening, and we will see you all next week. Bye.